Today, I am talking to the wonderful Alan Kilner-Johnson, one of my favourite things to do. It is the beginning of the academic year. It is also the beginning of season seven of the PhD Life Raft podcast. And so we are talking about the magic of new beginnings. And Alan shares some wisdom for people who are returning to second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh year of their PhD this year. And also share some thoughts for those who are starting out on their PhD journey. And we also talk about the delights of stationery. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. So you are a repeat guest for me. Um, welcome. Welcome again. Um, Thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure to have a chat with you um, is, in the podcast. It's truly lovely. So um, as many of you know, Alan and I um, work together a lot. So we um, co-facilitate PhD Circle, which meets every month. Um, we also, at the beginning of um, every academic year and the beginning of every calendar year, we um, run something that's called the PhD Planathon. Um, uh, because we believe in the kind of starting things off right. And because this is the beginning of season seven, people, season seven, how did that happen? I know. I know. Seven is a good number, right? So season seven, I think it is going to be a good season. And there's lots of new beginnings around for, for the life raft in terms of we've got new branding coming out. I've got, I've got a new website later on um, in the autumn. I'm very, very excited and I'm into this idea of new beginnings. And so because we're getting ready for the planathon anyway, I said, please, Ellen, will you come and talk to us? or have a chat with me about new beginnings. And um, thank you very much for saying yes. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Um, and thank you all for listening up to season seven. Or if you've just joined us, welcome. It's a good time to join us. Um, so we always usually start with um, people's story, but we've, we've, we've had your story. <laughs> but I wonder whether we could just ask you a bit about... Um, new new beginnings because I know I've just I've, we've called in today and I you was just saying you're just back in the office director of graduate studies so you're kind of gearing up for a year working in that capacity um but I wondered whether you could tell us a little bit about any of your new beginning rituals or how the new academic year starts for you oh absolutely I think this sort of goes back probably to my early childhood when I loved shopping for new school supplies every yes. August and September. That was yes. not the only reason I became an academic, but I think that my love of freshly sharpened pencils <laughs> probably contributed to that greatly. And I think that what's so interesting about those of us in university settings is that we have this sort of bonus opportunity for a, a new year around 
August and September. And, mm. you know, everyone sort of gets to set new New Year's resolutions in January. But when we're studying for a PhD or working at a university, we also get to set our, our plans and ideas for the academic year ahead. And I, I think for me, it's also a little bit about the climate, uh, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, originally, very similar climate to the Southeast of England. And it's about this time of year that things start to get a little bit chillier and the nights get a little bit darker and you begin to sort of turn inward again and beginning mm. to to reconnect with those um you know those parts of yourself and those parts of your your home life that maybe you didn't focus on as much during the the big bright vibrant summer so i always find the beginning of academic year is a really really exciting time and in terms of my rituals for the beginning of academic year I still go on those school supplies shops. Yes. I, still, I still love to get my new notebook, my new ballpoint pens, and and feel that I have I have my tools at the ready and my my pencil sharpened to to have a great year ahead of me. I love it. Any excuse for stationery shopping, I'm up for. <laughs> but I am. I and I was just saying to you I, this morning we went out shopping and I did indeed. Um, while I was trying to wrangle teenage boys into uh, new outfits, I also um, made sure I got myself some new stationery. So yes to that. And I, I think we we talk a lot in Circle about seasonal practices and this sense of the changing of the season, mm. um, whether you're in the Northern or Southern Hemisphere, um, and harnessing that rather than trying to pretend that isn't what you're, what's happening around you. <laughs> Absolutely. So this sense of kind of acknowledging things are changing, the energy is changing, and this opportunity to um, to go into a different phase, um, and, and that is truly a gift. And like you, I love that kind of academic life because this feels right as an as a sort of new start. This feels the right time of the year to make a new start and buy new clothes and. Um, have new uh, stationery. <laughs> Absolutely, and there's. You know, I, I think that any period of transition presents challenges and difficulties, mm. and that could be a, a transition from sort of your working day to your evening when you relax, or a transition from one phase of your life to another, or the beginning of a relationship or the ending of a relationship. Mm. Any of those points in our lives where we're transitioning from one thing to the next. We, we kind of instinctively begin to see that as a risk because mm. when we transition from one thing to the next, we don't know what the future is going to bring. And that's why I think it's so fantastic when we begin to reframe that transition as, uh, as that magic of a new beginning. So thinking about not necessarily the, um, the risks or uncertainties that might lie ahead for us in the coming months, but thinking about the great opportunities that we have as we begin this new academic year, because I know that that listeners of your podcast are at all different stages yes. of their PhD. So some some of your listeners might be entering their final year. Some of your listeners might be entering their their first job or thinking about roles um, that have moved beyond the academy or offering service in industry or in other ways. Some some listeners might be planning to begin yes. their PhD yes. or beginning to plan for the possibility of a PhD. And I think all of these moments of transition give us a great opportunity to just reconnect with the that original enthusiasm and excitement, thinking about the uh, that that magic and that that sparkle of new beginnings, rather than necessarily that uncertainty of the unknown that lies ahead. 
absolutely absolutely and this sense of like you said about transitions and the and the vulnerability of that that's why often ritual practices um happen around that and we do have the kind of ritualistic we, well we've just both described it the ritual the ritual of the new station i mean the ritual of of um what happens at the beginning the beginning of the year that the you know the induction processes those kinds of things that that help us over the threshold literally um but yeah i do i do want to touch on this this idea of starting afresh and as you say for some people this may be totally new and i, I want to come to them in a minute and maybe thinking about advice for people who are just starting out mm-hmm. this year but but before that perhaps I think of the of the people who are coming into a new new year and a new phase um because often the PhD feels like it sort of is is amorphous and it kind of stretches out and um and people might feel like oh, I'm not where I not where I wanted to be not where I should be I'm behind I'm not this kind of this sense of these feelings and and, and narratives around that I wonder any thoughts about really as you were saying about kind of harnessing this new beginning, giving yourself a fresh start, whether you've got any thoughts around that. I think that's such an important point because you're you're absolutely right. And I've, I've supervised many PhD students and I've supported um, many, many more PhD students at my university. And one of the, the most frequent concerns or worries that I hear is that all PhD researchers reach a point in their research where they've kind of had enough, where it's mm-hmm. kind of getting a little bit frustrating or they, they feel like they've had too much and getting through that particular moment can, can be a challenge. We do all encounter that. And it, it makes me think of the, of the work of a really, really great psychotherapist called Esther Perel. She's a, a relationships therapist and she wrote a, a brilliant book called Mating in Captivity. Sort of how you, how you maintain a romantic relationship over time. And I think there are lots of really, really good correspondences and overlaps here. Because in the same way that romantic relationships can have a honeymoon period where there's that sort of initial draw and appeal that can cause two people to, to become close and connected, sometimes that, that begins to, to fade away after a few months or a few years. And then, as Esther Perel says, that's when the real love begins. And I think we do something very similar when we begin any research project as well. We begin in that honeymoon phase Mm. of feeling all of that enthusiasm, all of that excitement, all of that overwhelming opportunity. But over time, at some point or another, that honeymoon phase will come to an end. And then that's when the real love of your research begins. And what Perel suggests in in Median Captivity is that you almost engineer that, that different uniqueness in your partner. So she says, when you get out of the honeymoon phase in a romantic partnership, begin to look at your partner across the room, almost as if you're seeing them for the first time, almost as if you're reconnecting with someone who you haven't seen for many years to inspire that sense of newness and change and bright future ahead. And I think that when we go through these rituals of buying our new pencils at the beginning of the academic year or um, sitting down at our desk for a new working day, that's exactly what we're doing. We're having the opportunity to look with fresh eyes at our at our research, not allowing it to become sort of the, the forgotten um, partner that we no longer care about, but becoming the, you know, that, that object of devotion and desire once again. And 
one thing that I recommend to many PhD researchers that I work with is having that daily ritual every day before you begin work. Sometimes it's making a particular cup of tea before you sit down. Sometimes it's lighting a particular candle. Sometimes it's going on a walk around the block. Sometimes it's playing with your dog or cat for five minutes. But there's something really fantastic about marking out the beginning of that new day. Because even if you've gotten through that honeymoon phase of your research, you still have that new beginning every single day. So celebrating that, holding on to that, and finding that that unique trigger that you can have every day to to remind you what brought you into connection with your research in the first place. And in my experience, that can serve as very very well to get through um, the 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 long journey that any PhD project is. Oh, I love that so much. I love it. So, and it makes me think a friend of mine just uh, had a, a vow renewal ceremony. Um, and it was just making me think of, yeah, it's like a sort of vow renewal with your uh, uh, commitment to your recommitment <laughs> ceremony to your PhD. Definitely. And there's a bit of a, um, uh, a meme, a style of thing that sometimes happens on social media where people um, are pictured in marriage ceremonies to their printed thesis or carrying <laughs> Um, bundled up like a baby. And I think that that's probably very indicative of a very, very deep human response to the commitment that goes into a PhD. A PhD is never going to be an easy journey, but it's a journey that we we can go through and we, we grow from going through it. So I think that these deep emotional responses we have to our work are very, very telling about the importance that the PhD offers to us. I love that. And I love this idea of a fresh start, this sense of kind of drawing a line and saying, okay, I get to start again. I get to try again and and and, and not worry about what was before. I'm I'm starting where I am now um, and I'm gonna move forward from that. It's a real power, there's real power in that. Um awesome, awesome. Um so those for the, that's for the people who are who are kind of coming back. But there will be people who are just starting out and hooray for that. Welcome. Welcome to the large raft. <laughs> um, any thoughts um, for, for those people, Alan? Uh, two things that immediately come to mind. There's there's a phrase, the, the, um, the reflective practitioner, that's oftentimes used in pedagogy. So when teachers are being trained or lecturers are being trained, they're often told to be reflective practitioners in the sense that they are looking at what they're doing, you know, each day that they, they're doing something, they then briefly reflect on it and think about how they can incrementally improve the next day. And I think there's something really valuable in new PhD researchers at the beginning of their journey, thinking about themselves as reflective practitioners, because this is a new realm. This is a very different context than an undergraduate or even a master's level qualification. So not going into it expecting that you're going to know exactly what to do or exactly what to think, but knowing that if you're becoming aware of and conscious of your journey along the way and allowing yourself to reflect upon what's gone well and what could go even better next time, you begin to to develop and hone those abilities uh, to to really, really provide contribution to your field and produce some great research. So allowing yourself to reflect upon the process is, is a crucial step, I think, at the beginning of a PhD journey. And in addition to that as well, and this is more of my 
sort of the the rational planning journaling type of Alan mm. mind speaking, mm. thinking specifically about the systems that you set out at the beginning, how you take notes, how you record data, how you communicate with supervisors and collaborators, how you jot down those late night moments of inspiration. And knowing that your, your systems, how you record and process thoughts and ideas and data, those will grow and evolve over time. But very oftentimes PhD researchers wait until a number of months, if not a number of years into their research to really think about how they want to sort of create their second brain and the systems that they want to use to mm. record that. Mm. So yes, kind of thinking about the project management and what you're going to put in place and this sense of being of, of being reflective and the sense of it being a process. It, this is very different, isn't it, to that kind of undergraduate research that can be... Um, bit like a sort of production line where you're kind of responding, continually responding to um, other people's invitations in terms of essay writing and stuff. Actually, this is a, this is a process in looking at what's going on for you and how your thinking is evolving. Um, Really, really useful to remember. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, It, I mean, it, it makes me think also about the, the amount of, time that PhD researchers become conscious of a sense of imposter syndrome. And I know that it's something that many PhD researchers talk about. And it is very oftentimes connected to that, that different timeline of doctoral research. That when you're an undergraduate or a master's level student, there are more regular opportunities for evaluation of your work that can provide you with a sense of hurrah, yay, I'm doing everything well, or mm, I, I need to do something slightly different or better next time. But in a PhD, because it is longer and it is a journey, there might be periods of time when we don't have that external validation that we as humans very naturally mm-hmm. rely upon. And I know that some researchers enjoy the greater um, the greater expanse of time that we have to allow a project to really go to full fruition. And I understand that. But I think that one of the downsides of that as well is that we as humans still crave a sense of recognition, a sense of affirmation, a sense of confirmation that we're in the right track. And mm. sometimes, you know, the rituals we create around new beginnings allow us to to offer those affirmations to ourselves mm. that we might not be receiving as regularly from from others outside. Yes, I think absolutely that kind of ele- providing your own punctuation points I think is really really useful and meaningful punctuation points for yourself um where you can pause, reflect, start again. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Love it. Um so we ne- we're nearly we're nearly out of time. I said it always goes so quickly. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna um, invite you in a minute for just some top tips for for new beginnings, and it might be a recap of what we've already said. Um, but just to say, people are very welcome to come and join us for the for the um, planathon. Um, uh, we we do we, it's, it's the stuff that we've been talking about today, really, isn't it? This sense of yeah. it, it. We think about where people where you've been. It's a it's a over a week. Think about um, looking at where you've been, where you'd like where you where you want to go, and then kind of um, setting intentions for this for the coming for the coming academic year. Um, it's usually really beautiful, isn't it? It's really. <laughs> 
It is. Really love it. I, lo- I love the metaphor we use of the the directional compass and thinking yes. about sort of different directions and the different, the literal, the different sort of directions we go in in our research and how we map out that journey for ourselves. And it's not, you know, it's not about the the sort of project management part that no. I spoke about before. It's about sort of self management and self understanding and the, the the bigger questions around how we approach research and how we grow into ourselves through our research. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, what our research is saying to us as individuals as much as what we're bringing to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the stories we tell ourselves about, you know, I'm not good enough, This, you know, all of those kinds of things, just kind of really coming into an awareness of that um, so that we can note it out, call it out yeah. <laughs> um, and allow ourselves to move forward. Yeah. Oh, I, well, I'm looking forward to this now again already. <laughs> um, so yes, so I will have all the details will be in the show notes if you'd like to come if you'd like to come and join us. Um, but we're back to tips for new beginnings. So uh, top tips, Ellen. I, yeah, I've I've said a few already. Yes, yes. There's one that rather than just recapping, I want to sort of offer the the ultimate tip, one that that really fundamentally changed my life many years ago and it's something that I told you today. I don't know if I've mentioned it in the podcast before. It's all right if I have, because it is so valuable, I think, for, for us as researchers. But it's it's a tool called the Morning Pages from yes. Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. And the, the entire book is extraordinary, hugely, hugely relevant to doctoral researchers. It gives yes. sort of a 12-week um, plan of journaling topics and activities. <clears throat> um, but the, the tool Morning Pages is getting yourself a, a journal or a diary, go, you know, going to the cheap discount store and spending a pound or a dollar, doesn't need to be super fancy. And then every morning to, to begin that morning to mark the possibility of what lies ahead that day, writing three stream of consciousness, longhand pages. And the, the impact that has had on, the me, on me over the years has just been extraordinary. And sometimes it's difficult to encapsulate exactly what it does, but it's, it allows some of that, that unconscious gunk to, to work its way through my mind, mm-hmm. getting out some of those, mm-hmm. as you were saying, those unconscious stories or limiting beliefs that my unconscious mind was playing in the background. And sometimes I might be writing and realize that I'm writing about one of those and then, and then start writing about why I'm writing about one of those. And somehow that process releases it. And morning pages are the opportunity just to just to allow your hand to flow and trust where it's going to take you. The book, The Artist's Way, speaks a great deal more about the theory of morning pages. But I think that my top tip is simply give it a try. Mm-hmm. Maybe tomorrow morning, committing for the next three days, the next five days, to see what that feels like, writing three stream of consciousness pages, longhand, every day, and noticing how that impacts upon you. And seeing in particular how that impacts upon you as a researcher going into this new academic year or the start of a new journey for you. Gorgeous, gorgeous. And then thank you for your fantastic collaboration um, and your um, wisdom. And wish you an amazing year this year. Um, and thank you so much, Emma. You too. And thank you all for listening. And again, I wish you all an amazing new academic year.